What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Run the Damn Pod. I'm your host, Jordan. As always, looking to catch you up on everything college football over the weekend. Starting out with the Georgia game. Like I said, if you are not a Georgia fan, or like I always say, if you are not a Georgia fan, you can go ahead and skip a couple minutes into this. I always break down the Georgia game at the beginning of each episode. If you don't care, move on. Not going to hurt my feelings. We're then going to whip around to some college football headlines trending up and down, see what the Heisman race looks like, playoff picks, and then go over my game picks for the week, as well as a special couple of closing notes today. So as I only have 30 minutes to record and those who know me know that I ramble, I'm going to jump right into this with the Georgia game from over the weekend. Georgia took on Kentucky on ESPN at 7 o'clock Saturday night, finally got a in an in-conference and a ranked night game, which was really cool to see. If you watch the game in person or on TV, you can tell that Sanford Stadium at night is one of the best atmospheres in college football, bar none. It is truly a travesty that Georgia does not get more night games, especially ranked night games like the one against Kentucky. Such a cool environment, such a cool atmosphere to see. And as a fan of college football, just really, really awesome that Sanford got that on Saturday night. And kind of in tune with that, going to check in on first what went right for the Georgia game. And, you know, for once, I'm going to go ahead and say almost everything went right. This is shocking coming from me. Some haters won't believe it, but I really don't have much to complain about. Carson Beck and his receivers are clicking. They're finding a rhythm. Carson looks like he's coming into his own at quarterback, and the receivers themselves are gaining confidence, I think, week in and week out. Um, if you watch the game, if you watch college football at all, you know Brock Bowers continues to dominate. He did over the weekend as well with another 100-yard game, putting him on track for that elusive 1,000-yard receiving season for Georgia. We'll see how that holds up. The running backs overall looked far more efficient. Kendall Milton kind of getting back into a groove post-injury. Dijon Edwards still looking like a really solid, reliable option back there. The offensive line, again, solid for the most part, opening up some holes in the run game, pretty decent in pass protection. And look, at the end of the day, the offense put up 51 points against a Power 5, let alone ranked Power 5, let alone SEC divisional rival opponent. I'm not going to poke a whole lot of holes in that, honestly. It's the most points I think that uh, Georgia's put up all season, so really liked what I saw out of the offense. Very few complaints there. On defense, aside from a couple of blown coverages, um, secondary really continued to look elite. The interior defensive line and the run defense along that interior continues to impress. That really hadn't been the issue so far this season. The issue has been more so on the edge, and run support and contain on the edge did still see some guys fighting a little bit too hard, giving up contain and giving up those outside lanes. But overall, it looked much better than in weeks past. The pass rush from the edge position, if I really had to nitpick and point out something that Georgia is seriously lacking right now, it is pass rush production from that edge position. It seems like pressure may be there, certainly not like in years past. And the sacks, which Kirby likes to talk about being a little bit overrated, um, they're just still not piling up. And again, it doesn't necessarily matter as long as you're showing pressure um, but you're not seeing pressure from that edge position like I think you have in years past. 
The good news is uh, at, on, on the defensive side of the ball that uh, Will Muschamp and uh, Glenn Schumann are really able to dial up some manufactured pressure on blitzes with their linebackers or with their defensive backs from the secondary. And that's working this year like it has in years past. So the pressure is there. It's just not necessarily coming from the edge position, which is interesting. Um, linebackers this weekend looked outstanding. I know Dumas Johnson has uh, caught a little bit of flack over the past couple of weeks, but he looked fantastic, especially in pass rush. Um, really, overall, the team seems to be finding its stride right now, which kind of lines up with what I would have expected coming into this season. If Georgia was going to find its stride, I figured now would kind of be the time. Given the turnover that we saw from last year, again, losing some of those key contributors, especially on defense and at quarterback, clearly missing Stetson Bennett on offense. Given that turnover, like I said, the adjustment period really does kind of line up for me. I said coming into this season that South Carolina would probably be the first test for us. It was. Auburn was a pretty serious road test, which lined up with what I expected and definitely saw some road bumps along the way, being down 10 nothing at Auburn, being down 14-3 to at halftime at home against South Carolina. Really slow starts against some group of five and FCS opponents. But now six games in, seems like the guys are kind of gelling a little bit better. Limited mistakes. Beck looks really confident in his building rapport with his receivers and his running backs. Actually started off the day, I believe, 11 for 11, completing 11 passes in a row there. So, Really kind of coming into his own, the receivers, especially guys like Rara Thomas, who you brought in from the transfer portal, are looking polished, comfortable in the system. I think kind of learning how things are done here and getting comfortable with the playbook. This is the right time for Georgia to start clicking. We've got Vanderbilt coming up this Saturday, followed by a bye week, which is a really good time, like I said, right now for this team to hit their stride, carry some momentum into the Vanderbilt game, into the bye week, and into the back half of the season, which is going to include some seriously tough games. You've got your rivalry game against Florida. I know it's Florida. I know they haven't looked good, but you cannot count out rivals in those types of games. Florida is always going to show up to play Georgia tough. And then you've got really tough games remaining at home against Missouri and Ole Miss, and then clearly on the road against Tennessee. So like I said, a good time to kind of catch your stride, hopefully carry some of that momentum into the back half of the season. I know Tennessee, again, has already lost a game. They have not looked necessarily up to what was expected of them to this point in the season. But that game in Dealing Stadium, it's either going to be a 3.30 game or it's going to be a night game. That crowd is going to be ridiculous, and you saw what happened to Alabama last year. You really can't overlook a team like that, not to mention Missouri, who's been hot like I just said, and Ole Miss at home, who also looks pretty impressive so far. So, again, this may be a first for me, but overall I'm pretty pleased with the way things went over the weekend for Georgia. Don't have a ton of holes to poke into this, and I'm glad it looks like the guys are kind of finding their stride right now. So that's all on the Georgia end of things. Moving on to some of the headlines around the world of college football. What I saw over the weekend, first and foremost, the Red River rivalry lived up to the hype this year, as it typically does. Last year's 49 nothing was kind of an outlier, but this year lived up to the hype. Oklahoma delivered a dramatic last-second touchdown pass for the win, and at that point, the Sooners really kind of cemented themselves as title contenders in Brent Venable's second season. They have a 
very manageable schedule going forward, aside from potentially the Big 12 championship game where they may see Texas again. If Texas were to drop another game, they're probably going to see the likes of like Kansas State, West Virginia, somebody like that. So I really think that game for Oklahoma was kind of a watershed moment for them and took them from being, you know, hopefuls to serious contenders for the playoff and for a national title. So really impressive stuff from Oklahoma over the weekend and a great game to watch as always. You know, I hate that it's a noon game, but it kind of gives you something to look forward to. You know, you're typically going to get a shootout in the Red River showdown there. So that was fun to watch. Another headline from the weekend, kind of a uh, a less cheery headline. Um, Miami coach Mario Cristobal probably made what I believe is the single worst decision I've ever seen as a college football coach at that level of the game. It has to be the worst call I've ever seen. 44 seconds left in the game. Playing against Georgia Tech, Miami has the ball. Georgia Tech has no timeouts with a running clock. And Mario Cristobal elects to run the ball instead, run a play, hand the ball off and run the ball instead of kneeling out. That led to a fumble and Georgia Tech then ran a game winning touchdown pass with one second left in the game. Really remarkably bad coaching for Mario Cristobal. I really I've seen some of his justifications. I've seen some of his um, explanations. You know, I know he's taken some liability taking some responsibility for this I'm really not sure what was going through his head though with a running clock at 44 seconds you either are so stupid that you forgot that the clock was running and that Georgia Tech didn't have any timeouts which is inexcusable or your ego was so big and you were upset that as a ranked team you hadn't covered the spread against an inferior Georgia Tech team that you felt like you had to run the ball to what, grind out a couple more yards on on these guys and potentially score a touchdown? No, it was, it was unbelievable. There is no excuse for that. To run the ball, risk a fumble in rainy weather, no, uh, no less, mind you, in Miami. That was just a horrible play call. I can't really believe what I saw. But, you know, with all that said, while the blame there does fall on Mario Cristobal, got to give some credit where due to Haynes King, Georgia Tech quarterback, for making a really ballsy play in the biggest moment of the game to close it out. He was nearly sacked on that last play of the game. Had to get 45 yards down the field for a touchdown with 10 seconds left. Um, was able to scramble out of it and heave it downfield for the win. So blown coverage there from Miami. Great play from Haynes King. Kind of overshadowed by how horrible of a coaching decision was made by Mario Cristobal, but a lot of credit to King and a lot of credit to Georgia Tech for hanging in there for the win. So those were kind of the two headlines that I saw over the weekend that bared um, a little bit of extra spotlight. Moving on now. Checking out who is trending up and down right now. Trending up. Um, if you listen to the front part of this show, you may can skip this as well. If you didn't, if you're not a Georgia fan, I did d- discuss Georgia ad nauseum already for about six, seven minutes. But they are trending up following that 51-13 to win over division rival Kentucky. Kentucky came into that game with a ton of momentum on the heels of a really dominant performance against Florida. And honestly, after Ray Davis's what, 280-something yard day on the ground, he seemed poised to run all over a Georgia defense that, again, has given up yards on the ground to inferior opponents this year. And Ray Davis, looking like one of the best running backs in the SEC, kind of seemed ready to gash a hole in this Georgia defense. 
Instead, he really was only able to pile up just over 50 yards on the ground, and Georgia exploded for over 600 total yards on offense as well as 51 points. I think that game earned back some respect for Georgia atop the AP AP poll in the voters' eyes. And certainly, you know, when the CFP rankings come out in a couple of weeks here, I think that kind of signature win against a ranked team, even though it is at home in a game you probably should win, that kind of dominant win does pay dividends down the line for your resume building. So Georgia definitely trending up. Another team trending up, I think, is Louisville. After barely cracking the top 25 following five, really just kind of ho-hum pedestrian wins, um, Louisville finally got some respect put on their name after upsetting Notre Dame at home. Quarterback uh, Jack Plummer was efficient with the ball, nothing special, but the ground game was super effective. Um, kicker Brock Travel said wore out his boot with four field goals, put up 12 points. Um, I think nine of them within like three minutes of each other. Well, three field goals, nine points within like three minutes of each other. Um, and it was a game that really felt in hand for the underdog Louisville Cardinal team by the fourth quarter. Notre Dame really didn't have an answer, you know, until about halfway through the third quarter, they were hanging on. And then once that point hit, it really seemed like they didn't have an answer as Louisville continued to grind the clock out and kind of chug things along toward the end of the game. So definitely trending up Louisville is in that ACC division. They could definitely end up being Florida State's opponent in the SE or sorry, in the ACC championship game. Um, and that could be a play in spot if they're able to win out for the rest of the uh, if they're able to rent win out the rest of the way. That could be a play in spot potentially for a CFP berth if if not, maybe then just a New Year's Six Bowl, but really trending up on Louisville right now. Loved what I saw out of them over the weekend. Trending down, speaking of Notre Dame, I'm going to go with Marcus Freeman. Um, last year, 2022-2023 season, a really underwhelming 8-4 and four regular season last year. Um, kind of had some questions thrown around, but a bowl game win and then a dominant opening game against Navy really did kind of seem to have Freeman and Notre Dame pointing in the right direction. Now you look at things again following a last-second loss to Ohio State that saw another critical coaching error leaving a man off the field on consecutive goal line plays, followed by a near miss at basketball blue blood Duke, who was playing good football but is still Duke, and what we're candidly going to call a drubbing at the hands of the fighting Jack Harlows in Louisville, Irish faithful have really got to be wondering right now if Marcus Freeman really is the answer after all. And from this point on, things don't get a lot easier with Southern Cal and Clemson on tap. So you're looking at a two-loss team right now that may have two more losses on this schedule. Speaking of USC, trending down, this is kind of unfair, but I will say Caleb Williams' Heisman repeat case is at the moment trending down. Um, I'll caveat this by saying it is almost impossible to repeat as a Heisman uh, winner. Archie Griffin, Ohio State, only player to ever do it. Um, And admittedly, this is really a little bit less about Caleb Williams and more so about the dominance of Michael Penix over at Washington. But an award like the Heisman, as I've said before, and I will die on this hill, it demands perfection. And Williams, while he was pivotal when it mattered last weekend against Arizona, was pedestrian at best for my word of the day, pedestrian. He was pedestrian at best over the course of the game against a far inferior Arizona team. Um, 
this Heisman race, honestly, I think right now it's coming down to Caleb Williams and Michael Penix. And it may come down to the head-to-head against these two on November 4th. But before this weekend, Caleb Williams was still my number one. I didn't think he had done anything to loosen his grip on it, as impressive as Penix had been. That is no longer the case after the weekend, after a relatively, again, ho-hum performance from Caleb Williams with just one touchdown. Penix has continued to dominate week in and week out. So I think Williams' repeat case kind of took a hit and is trending down over the weekend. Um, So speaking of which, looking at the Heisman race now, I kind of broke out last week by categories into favorites, contenders, and dark horses. I'm going to follow that same pattern this week. I know we're halfway through the season, but I'm still not really ready to call a shot on the Heisman race yet, mostly because... It's a whole season perfection-paced award, as I said. So you really can't call it until the season is almost over because you can have things that happen, injuries, shoddy games, whatever. So, again, broken this up into favorites, contenders, and dark horses. Right now, my two favorites, clearly Michael Penix and Caleb Williams. You could slide my first contender, Bo Nix, in there. I do think Bo Nix could be considered a favorite. Um... The three Pac-12 quarterbacks, they're really kind of leading the way for me. Um, But again, I think in that first echelon, I've seen Penix and Williams really distinguish themselves from the rest. Bo Nix might could be in a tier of his own kind of a favorite adjacent or a favorite light, if you will. But I've got him in there with contenders, along with Drake May from North Carolina. And after his performance this weekend, Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma Remains to be seen if he can keep that up because he has shown some limitations in his game. Um, But he's been playing really good football so far. He's got his team undefeated and he's putting up the numbers that matter. So Dylan Gabriel makes it into my contenders. For my dark horses, I do still have Marvin Harrison Jr. on there. And no, I'm not a homer. You just have to watch the film. Brock Bowers is a dark horse for the Heisman Trophy at this point. He is the best player on the field every time he steps onto the field, and that will probably remain the case until such point as he plays against somebody like potentially Marvin Harrison or potentially Caleb Williams. But across the board, he may be the best football player in the country. The problem for Marvin Harrison and Brock Bowers is that the Heisman is a quarterback award. It, it basically always has been, um, especially recently. You've seen running backs win it. You've seen one defensive player win it. But you're just not, I don't think, going to see a receiver or tight end win it in this era, especially with Penix and Williams and Knicks playing the way they are. So I've got him in that dark horse category, along with J.J. McCarthy and Jordan Travis, who continue to play very consistent football, and it is impressive across the board. So got to have them in there as dark horses should something kind of, you know, shuffle up a little bit at the top. So that's where my Heisman race stands as of right now. Moving on to my playoff picks, really not a whole lot of change up from last week. I do still have Georgia and Michigan in there, although I will say, looking back at my notes now, I may have had, let's see. Yep, I had Ohio State in there last week. That's unfortunate. Um, Nope, I did have Michigan. So it does hold serve with Michigan in there at number two. Um, I have Oklahoma replacing Texas after that big win in the Red River Showdown. And then I do have Florida State in there. Um, While I'm not as impressed with Florida State as some others might be, I do think that they'll end up winning the ACC and they'll slide in there. Um, Michigan seems poised right now for the Big Ten crown. 
But I think Penn State may make things interesting down the line. And honestly, Ohio State is always right there. They may be the better team and just haven't shown it yet. But as of what I've seen right now, Penn State and Michigan may be just a tick ahead of Ohio State at this point. Um, Oklahoma, I really think, has the easiest path in. Were it not for a potential rematch with Texas in the Big 12 championship game, I'd consider them a shoe-in. So if Texas drops another one, I think you can just go ahead and book Oklahoma's ticket right now. They have the easiest path in. Um, Georgia, I think they need some more performances like they had against Kentucky to hold serve. Um, they do, you know, have a manageable schedule the rest of the way. But again, those matchups with Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Missouri are not to be overlooked. And I promise you the prospect of playing Alabama and Atlanta still scares UGA faithful. It may even scare the coaching staff and the players, even though I know they wouldn't admit it. Um, but as of right now, those are my four, Georgia, Michigan, Oklahoma, and Florida State. So moving on from that to my game picks for the weekend, I'm 10-2 and two on the season. This weekend, I have Oregon over Washington. I'm not necessarily ready to say that Bo Nix is going to outplay Michael Penix, but I trust Dan Lanning, Oregon's defense, and Bo Nix more than I trust Washington as a whole, so I'm taking Oregon. I think Tennessee um, gets a big win over Texas A&M. I think LSU beats Auburn. I think, and this goes kind of against everything that I was saying in my trending down argument, but I do think after what I've seen out of Southern Cal over the past few weeks, I think Notre Dame bounces back, comes in, and knocks off USC in an upset. Um, I think North Carolina beats Miami. I think Missouri beats Kentucky and kind of cements themselves as that number two in the SEC East and the real threat to Georgia in the East. Um, I've got Oregon State over UCLA in the Pac-12, and wrapping things up, I think NC State takes down a injury, an injury-depleted Duke team after playing Louisville really tight a couple weeks ago. I think NC State gets past Duke. So those are my game picks for the weekend, and that just about wraps us up, but I would be remiss if not for a closing note on the Atlanta Braves, who are in the NLDS against the Phillies right now. Go freaking Braves. Series tied 1-1 to heading back to Citizens Bank Park. I think that's the name of Philly Stadium in Philly for a couple of games. So we're going to be on pins and needles over here in Atlanta for that. And it is the most important week of the year. And today is the finale of the most important week of the year. It is Fat Bear Week. Grazer, the chunky monkey mama, got my vote. And I think Grazer is going to go on to win the whole dang thing. So Good for you, Grazer. Really proud of you. Proud of all the fat bears who put in the time and effort to bulk up for hibernation season. Y'all go. If you haven't checked it out yet, go check out um, the Katmai National Preserve and check out Fat Bear Week. It truly is the best week of the year. With all of that said, cheers. Go dogs. Appreciate y'all tuning in as always, and we will catch you next week on Run the Nam Pod.